Wretched Radio begins in three, two, one. Some councils are auditing schools and urging a ban on the terms boy and girl. For those who are in an open or polyamorous relationship, your relationships are holy. A gay black woman's victim status is less than that of a black trans woman who ranks below a black Muslim trans woman. We don't want to just win the argument about sexuality. We want to use this as a gospel opportunity. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. And welcome to Wretched Radio. Hey, I'm Jimmy Hicks in the studio, which can only mean we're gearing up for another exciting Witness Wednesday. Todd and team are currently getting ready on campus at Kennesaw State University. But before we get to them as they're setting up, I just want to take this opportunity to let you know that we have several valuable resources to aid you in your evangelism efforts. From gospel booklets you can hand out, And we also have DVDs that can help you learn tips to ease your nerves. Just check out the Wretched store at wretched.org. Now I think they're ready. I think they are. Todd? What do the two of us have in common? Answer, Juice World. You see, Michael, I love Juice World. I love Juice World too. He's my favorite rapper. Oh, it's a rapper. I thought it was like a breakfast beverage. I'm sorry. All right. So you're into the you're into the rap scene. Yes, I am. Cool. And are these guys good? Presumably. Amazing. Really? Okay. Cool. So Michael, you are studying business and finance. You told me that, and then you said something really interesting. I want to I want to get this degree so I can get a good job to take care of future generations. That's pretty noble. I mean, I really care about my my family and supporting them. So. I don't really worry about myself a lot. I worry about like the people that are going to come after me because I don't want them to have to struggle or go through any pain that I go through. Can I ask you a philosophical question about that? Yeah, for sure. That sense of I want to take care of um, my posterity. I want to take care of the next generations. Where does that sentiment come from? Um, I say it comes from my mother, from the place that she started in to the place she's at now. But I'm talking about you, like what worldview or religion or philosophy endorses your thinking? And tell the truth, I don't really know. I, I kind of always had this sort of way of thinking. I've never really struggled with anything like that. My mind was always on, set on a certain thing. All right. I want to talk to you about this book. It's about agnosticism. Do you know what that is? No. Agnosticism. It's a Greek word, compound word. A, gnosis, agnostic. A, negates what comes after it, which is the word knowledge. So it means no knowledge. An agnostic is the person who would say, I'm not an atheist. But I'm not a believer in God either. I'm kind of in this middle zone. I just don't know. Would you say you're an agnostic? No, not really. What are you? I'm a true believer. True believer in what? Uh, God Almighty. And who do you think that God is? I think he's just the person above who watches over all of us. And do you learn about this deity in any particular place? I mean, in churches, you read the Bible. There's tons of different scriptures that just talk about who he is as a person and what he does and how he died for our sins. So you're a Christian. Yes. Got it. Okay. So tell me this dying for sins business. Can you unpack that for me? Well, I mean, he came here to show us like who he is as a person. And then we pretty much, he took all of his sins on his shoulders, like every, all the whole world sins onto his shoulders. And he died for that reason. They put him on a cross to kind of say that like, I'm dying here for you. It's just pretty much to put all your weight on my shoulders and I'll take care of it. Why did he do that? I mean, that's the reason he was sent to Earth. Why? Those are questions we don't know. So I'm just, I'm, I want to, I want to make dig in that a little bit because that's intriguing. If God came to Earth to die for our sins, that would suggest that if He didn't do that, we'd be in big trouble. Correct? 
I mean, I wouldn't say it's correct or incorrect, but we n- nobody really knows the true answer. It's all kind of just made in theory. Michael, how do you think one becomes a Christian? Kind of just, I know it's just a path that you choose. It's what you want to follow and what you want to belong to. So you really just have to know like who you are. Do you think if I approached you and let's just say I'm from a different religion, do you think there's a possibility you could be persuaded to leave Christianity to become a part of something else? No, not really. How come? Because I know what I follow and I know what I believe in. So I don't think anything will really change my perspective on that. So then let's say I approached you and I said, Michael, I'm interested in becoming a Christian. What would you tell me to persuade me to become a Christian? Well, I'd probably take you to a church that I go to so that you can really truly like hear the word and hear what they have to say. And then if you don't like it, I'm not going to force it on you. But if you do and you want to learn more about it, then I can introduce you to like maybe the pastor or fellow memberships and just really try and bring you into it. Not like kind of a forced thing, but kind of just a general thing just on the flow. But let's say, Michael, I don't like churches. I've had a really bad experience. So you just tell me, go. That's a tough question for me. I'm not really like really big on it. I kind of just take it easy. So I wouldn't really have the best description for like other people. They would like have like Bible verses or just be able to tell you things that can really relate you to it to make you like feel empowered. Me as a person, I don't think I can do it that well. Then let's, let's, let's swap roles for a second. Let's say you approached me and said, I'm thinking about becoming a Christian because we both like Juice World. All right. I would maybe try two different angles with you. I would start with, for instance, you take a look at this booklet. It says, Solving the God Puzzle. Can we know with certainty God exists by a man named Tom Hammond? If I sat down here and tried to persuade you, do you know that this actually happened over a lot of time, a lot of chance, some ink got together with some paper and came up with these words in the correct order to communicate information? You'd probably think I'm kind of nuts because, right, well, right. I mean, somebody had to write it and then put it together. So with that thought in mind, I look around and I see the flowers and the trees and the fauna and the stars, and they're really well designed, not to mention human beings and the brain being the most intricate organ on the planet. Didn't happen by itself. There has to be a divine being because there is a universe. So I try to persuade you that way. Would you be willing to go with me that far? Yeah, I would be. I would be intrigued. I want to know more. And then I might also suggest this, and this is what this book tries to do. So if we try to figure out who this divine being is, we can come up with some reasonable conclusions. For instance, we see that this is very artistic, so this creator must be artistic. We see a lot of power, so he must be really powerful. This place is big, so he must be everywhere. And so I intuit there must be a creator. He must be creative. He must be powerful. He must be omniscient knowing everything, and he must be present everywhere. And then I read the Bible, and that is exactly how the Bible describes God. He's the creator in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. He did it creatively because he's a creator. He's a designer. He's a divine artist. He knows everything. He's all powerful, and he communicates. And I know that because you and I communicate, and you and I can't communicate, and God can't because that would make us have something on God. So he communicates too. And he says that he communicates through the Bible. The Bible corresponds to reality as I understand it. Therefore, that's a good argument. The Bible is the book that reveals who he is. What do you think of that reasoning? I agree with that 100%. So now what I might try to do, Michael, if you ask me about becoming a Christian, I try to go to a different realm 
because what we just did is reason and logic kind of intuit our way to understanding if there's a divine being. But there's another area of your brain. It's called your conscience. Do you know what the conscience is and does? I have a vague idea, but not really. Think of it. Think of it as kind of a courtroom in your brain. It's the thing that when you start to do something, you know, you shouldn't do goes, Michael, don't do that. You're going to be sorry you did that. That's your conscience. It tells you when you're about to blow it and when you have blown it. And the Bible says that God has embedded that in you so that you could learn something about him and yourself. So if you ask me how to become a Christian, I try to go after that conscience center in your brain. And the way that I would attack it would be to reason with you about the rightness of God judging people. We have court systems, we have judges, we have prisons, and there's a reason. Because the Bible says God's throne, the foundations are righteousness and justice. And he's going to judge everybody. So all of the people who do wrong things, they're not going to get away with it. Unlike a criminal who might have a slick attorney who can get him out of it, you're not going to get out of God's courtroom if you're guilty. So I would try to reason with you by asking you questions like, Michael, would you consider yourself to be a good person? Yes, I'm a very good person. Very good. Okay. Let me, let me put you on trial for a minute. All right. Have you ever told a lie? Yes. Have you ever stolen anything? No. Sure. I mean, it doesn't have to be like a bank. It could be like coins from your mom's purse. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, no. <laughs> I did too. Okay. Have you ever taken God's name in vain, used his name as kind of a curse word? Yeah. Brace yourself. Um, Jesus said, you've heard it said of old, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say, if you look at a woman with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. In other words, God judges what we're thinking about. So I would ask you, have you looked at a woman with lust? Most guys have. That's right. Okay. So you're an adulterer at heart. I wouldn't say that I'm an adulterer at heart, but it is something that does happen. Most, most guys, it's in our genetics because you're always looking for that next person because God does say that there is a mate out there for you and you're supposed to wait till marriage. So it's kind of, I wouldn't say impossible, but it is hard not to have certain thoughts. No, it's real hard, but it just demonstrates our problem that our thought life is not as pure as it needs to be. And we'd all be guilty of that. All right. Jesus said, thou shalt not murder. You've heard that said. But I tell you, if you're just angry at your brother, you call him a fool or an idiot or a jerk or some other name, that you're in danger of the judgment. Have you ever been really angry at somebody and let it fly? Yeah. Because you drive in Atlanta. So of course you do that. So here's what we just, what I tried to do, Michael, is reason with your conscience. You said you're a very good person, but by your own testimony, you've confessed to being a liar, a thief, a blasphemer, and an adulterer, and a murderer at heart. So if God judges you, opens up the books, knows your thought life, everything that you do in darkness is brought into the light. Would God slam his gavel and say innocent or guilty? And stop. That's a cliffhanger. So hang on. We'll be right back in just a moment. We'll find out if Michael believes God would find him innocent or guilty on Judgment Day. Hang tight. You're listening to Witness Wednesday on Wretched Radio. Permit me to introduce you to Bree and Salvation Dominoes 
preborn style. When one person gets saved, they have that burning desire to just make him known the same way that was made known to them. And then it's just this domino effect. Bree currently volunteers at a preborn life center. How did she get saved? From a friend whose mother got saved at, you guessed it, a preborn life center. Why? Because preborn, it is indeed about saving babies' lives via $28 ultrasounds, but it is also sharing the gospel so that moms and dads get saved. And look at the domino effect. Would you please consider supporting preborn centers with as many free ultrasounds as you can? $28. For an ultrasound, 80% of the time saves a life. Learn more at preborn.org slash wretched. I know you didn't think we could do it, but hey, we did. And we've over-delivered on Road Trip to Truth Season 2. It's here now, and it's on sale at roadtriptotruth.org or wretched.org slash roadtrip. Don't miss out on all new topics and new experts with, of course, the same great host, John Fabares. Road Trip to Truth Season 2 and all of our resources are made possible by the support of our gospel partners. If you're a gospel partner already, we want to say thank you. Your generous gifts have made it possible for Wretched, Road Trip to Truth, Wretched Worldview, our drive-by series, or our new upcoming television series, Transform, to be created and reach millions of people all over the world. Thank you so much to our gospel partners. If you're not already a gospel partner, would you prayerfully consider becoming one? Just visit wretched.org donate to find out how you can support our goal in reaching the world with the gospel. Wretched. Amazing grace. Amazing gospel. Good news? There are actually thousands of pastors in Germany. The bad news is they're not very equipped. Theological training in Germany and in Europe is so needed because you don't really get any formal training, not in a church or anywhere else. Being at a TMAI training center, probably the first time that you ever get any formal training how to understand scripture, the church, and how to apply it in your own life. Germany is not the only nation that has a drought of qualified pastors, but the Masters Academy International is changing that one country at a time, currently in 17 nations, with mini seminaries, with graduates from the Master's Seminary, training indigenous men to rightly divide the word of truth. Would you please consider adopting your own seminary in one of 17 nations? Please visit wretched.org slash pastor, wretched.org slash pastor, wretched.org slash pastor. Books of the Bible. The Gospel of Matthew is an account of the life of Christ written by one of Jesus' disciples. Matthew's Gospel shows Jesus as the promised Messiah, God's anointed King and Savior. When you hear of the Kingdom of Heaven, remember that there is no kingdom without a king. Only those who bow before Jesus will enter His kingdom. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. And welcome back to Witness Wednesday on Wretched Radio. I'm Jimmy Hicks in the studio. Todd is out on campus at Kennesaw State University, and he's been chatting with Michael, a business major who has professed to be a believer. After sharing the law, Todd had just asked Michael if God would find him guilty or innocent on Judgment Day. So now let's see how Michael 
answers that question. Would God slam his gavel and say innocent or guilty? I feel like he would still say innocent. How come? It's because they do say that God does forgive you for all of your sins. So even all the mistakes I have made, maybe how little or how big, I mean, I still feel like if I repent for those decisions that I've made and change the person who I am, I still feel like God would accept all of those who are true followers of him. Let me reason with you. Let's say you broke 10 laws and you were in the court and the judge had all the evidence, knew you were guilty and you said, but judge, I'm sorry, I won't do it again. And by the way, I've been doing some good things lately. I've been helping other students with their homework. Would the judge find you not guilty? No, I mean, the judge in our world would not. But the principle of upholding justice, because if a judge goes, oh, you're sorry and you've done good things, I'm going to let you go. He wouldn't be just. He wouldn't be a good judge because he's not upholding the law. God is going to uphold the law. He's not going to be bribed with good works. So if God is that crystal clear in his judgment, is he slamming the gavel? Would it be innocent or guilty for you, Michael? I would say innocent, but I don't think it would be fair to compare God to judges of our time because nobody really knows how truly God judges until you make it up to heaven. Jesus tells us how he judges. Lust is adultery. Anger is murder. So he does give us a glimpse into the mind of God and the law. If there's a violation of a law, you get a ticket, you get arrested, you go to jail. God is actually higher than that. It's more severe than that. If you break his laws, he's got a jail too. It's called hell. And that's where lawbreakers go. Question, what is the definition of the word sin? There's certain commandments in the Bible that aren't supposed to be broken. So sin is pretty much going against any of those rules. The Bible also describes it as wages. The wages, what you've earned, is death. Sin earns you death. Because when we sin, we incur a debt with God. And we keep piling up that debt and we can't pay it. And our good deeds can't overturn them. We need something else. So now, I think the reason that you're fighting against the whole idea of being thought guilty is because that means you're not going to heaven. It means you're going to hell. And we don't like that thought. God is rich in mercy, but we have a, a bit of a conundrum here. And I want you to sort through this. Explain this to me from your Christian perspective. God must judge and punish sinners on the one hand. On the other hand, God is rich in mercy and he desires to save sinners. But do you see the tension? If he just lets guilty criminals go, then he's not just. And if he just condemns, then he's not loving. God is both a judge who is loving. So what was God's plan for you to be forgiven while upholding justice simultaneously? You should know the answer to this question, Michael. Tell the truth, I don't. Jesus, he sent his son to live a perfect life that you and I can't live. And then he died on a cross. I know you've heard that in church and there's a reason for it. It was a very judicial thing taking place. The Bible says that God was pouring out his wrath on his son on the behalf of sinners. Jesus, God in the flesh, never sinned. And he marched to a cross where they brutally beat him, stripped him, nailed him to a tree because he was receiving the punishment that you deserve so that you can be forgiven and God can receive you into his kingdom because your court case has been settled by somebody else who paid your fine. 
That's the gospel. That's the bedrock of Christianity, the good news that God came to die for you on a rescue mission so that he could be seen as an amazing God who forgives guilty criminals. If we're going to continue our role play here, then I would say to you, and Michael, that's that's why you need Jesus Christ, because if you don't, you don't have your debt paid and you're you're under the wrath of God and he's going to call your number someday and it's going to be up. And the books are going to be open and it's too late. And if he sentences you to hell as a guilty criminal, then your eternity is sealed forever and ever. But today you can escape. You can be forgiven by God, not because of what you do, but because of what Jesus did for you. And then I would plead with you to repent, which means to just turn from your sins. Doesn't mean you become perfect, but you no longer want to do those things that caused Jesus to die for you. And you put your faith, your wholehearted trust in Jesus Christ and him alone. And the Bible says, if you will do that, he will not cast you out. You will not only be seen as not guilty, you'll be seen as the righteousness of God. So you give Jesus Christ your rap sheet. He gives you his righteousness in exchange. I would plead with you to repent today, put your trust in him today so that your sins can be forgiven and so that you can inherit eternal life. And then those that, that generation to come that you're thinking about taking care of, you can take care of them more than financially. You can take care of them spiritually and lead them to the Lord and everlasting life. So now we're out of our role play. Here's my question for you. Jesus said, unless a man is born again, he will not see the kingdom of God. So if you're not that, you're not going to heaven. What does it mean to be born again? I would say to really change who you are as a person, to, to kind of open a new shell, get baptized, just really show that you're trying to be something that you were not before. I think that's, that's pretty warm, but we have to be careful because if it's stuff that we do to clean ourselves up or try, it, that's not how it works. God saves totally and completely when we throw ourselves at his mercy. So the Bible commands you to humble yourself, agree with God. You're not a very good person. You're like me and the rest of us, a very bad person. And Jesus is a very amazing savior. You put your trust in him. And the Bible says that you will be in God's hand and nobody will pluck you out. You will have everlasting life. That's what it means to be born again. Has God made you born again? Yes. Are you sure? Mm -hmm. I feel like he's trying to lead me down the right path at the moment. I feel like I haven't truly accepted it yet, but I feel like once I do that, I will be born again into somebody new. So would it be reasonable of me to ask, what are you waiting for? That's the same question I ask myself every day, but it's just kind of hard to make those choices. Like, because for some people it takes time to really figure out what path you want to take. I guess I'm just prolonging the inevitable. And in one way that would be to miss the point what I'm sharing with you, because sometimes people will hear something like this and they'll go, oh, so I need to kind of clean up my act and, and be a really moral person. Well, we should do that. But that's not really the essence of why God died for sinners. It's to bring you into a relationship with himself that you can know your creator and that you can understand why you were made and how you were made and for what purpose you were made. And then to have you walk in the steps that he's prepared for you to live your life in response to the good news that he died for you. So every day you delay, you're just missing out on knowing the best entity in the universe. This is more than just like hellfire and brimstone, but it should be God's kindness that leads you to repentance. The knowledge that God loves sinners so much he died for them. It's amazing when we hear about somebody dying for a friend. Jesus died for our his enemies. 
like you and me. So Michael, this is just good news. And I would also tell you this, you're a thoughtful guy. You're thinking things through, like even in the future, that's really unusual for somebody your age. This will make sense of all of life for you. It, it will bring black and white into color for you. Understanding why God made you for a reason. You're not here by accident. And I would also say in response to what you said, I'm not here by accident. This didn't happen by chance. I would say the Lord led me right to you because he's pleading with you through me today. Today is the day of salvation. Be saved. Become a child of God. Be forgiven. Receive everlasting life. And then teach your wife and kids about that when he gives you one. So that would be my encouragement for you today, Michael. Would you at least earnestly ponder what we just discussed? Yeah, I will for sure. Well, it's interesting. I don't think this is by chance, do you? No, not really. All right. So just so we're clear and I can walk away here like not concerned about you. What do you need to do to be saved? Tell me succinctly what must happen in Michael's heart for you to become a child of God. I guess for me to repent and for me to actually go back to my Lord and Savior and figure out who I am as a person. Yeah, the Bible says repent, turn from your sins, and put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you and I were flying in an airplane, the alarm came on and the pilot announced, we're crashing, and you saw a parachute sitting in the corner, what would you do with it? You'd put it on. The Bible says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, he's your parachute. Don't just acknowledge, yeah, he existed. No, he wants you to trust him with your life and with your eternity. So believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. All of your sins in the past, whatever you've done, whatever deeds were done in darkness, gone. All of your future sins, forgiven. And then you keep wanting to repent, not so you can be forgiven by God, but because you've been forgiven by God. That's what it means to be a Christian. It's not being on a treadmill to always make God happy with me. No, Jesus made God happy by dying for sinners. And I get the benefit of all of that. So Jesus was crucified and you get to slide. That's Christianity. Would you think about that today? Yes, yeah, so I will. This is my last question, I promise. As you sit here, and I'm going to walk away, what would keep you from calling out to God for mercy? Nothing. Well, I'm glad I met you today. You're a gentleman. Yeah, thank you. There's so much we can unpack from this chat. Michael, in the beginning, professed to be what he called a true believer. But as the conversation progressed, you heard Michael admit to holding back and never really submitting his life to Christ. So I would ask each of you to join me in being intentional about praying for Michael, the business major at Kennesaw State University, by name. Hang tight. We have more Witness Wednesday coming up next on Wretched Radio. This is Ratchet Radio, and I'm Jimmy Hicks. Nearly 30 Christians were murdered and almost 60 homes burned to the ground in attacks by jihadists earlier this month in South Sudan. South Sudan has predominantly been Christian-friendly since it split from Muslim-majority Sudan in 2011, but now Islam is invading the South as they see it as a gateway to Africa. In other persecution news, police in India arrested nine Christians, including two pastors recently, on false charges of illegal conversion. Sources say that police brutally beat three of the Christians arrested inside the police station. After searching the homes of those arrested and confiscating Bibles, police say that that is the evidence for the forced conversion charges. But don't you need evidence before you make an arrest? I guess that's only in America. This past Sunday, thousands of U.S. pastors preached about sexual morality in response to a new Canadian law that threatens to criminalize evangelism all under the guise of a conversion therapy ban. 
The bill threatens pastors with up to five years imprisonment if they remain faithful to the gospel. It calls biblical teaching on homosexuality and transgenderism a myth. And in response, Pastor John MacArthur led the charge of at least 4,000 U.S. pastors in preaching about biblical sexuality alongside our brothers in Canada this past weekend. Please be in prayer for our brothers and sisters north of the border and all of our brothers and sisters facing intense persecution all over the world. And the state that's striving to be the most Marxist in America, California, and its governor, Gavin Newsom, has presented a new budget. And boy, is it a doozy. In the new budget, California would expand funding of financial incentives to medical students who choose the path of baby murder. You heard that right. Governor Gavin Newsom proposes that the state give California taxpayer dollars to medical students who choose to become doctors of destruction. An evil reward for an evil deed. This past weekend, Glenn Youngkin became the 74th governor of Virginia, and in his first moves in office, Governor Youngkin issued executive orders that did away with mask mandates in schools and vaccine mandates for state employees. That's not all. He also banned the teaching of divisive concepts in public schools, concepts like critical race theory. Hats off to a level-headed governor already making moves to protect the youth of Virginia. And we go to Utah. The media in Salt Lake City is calling on Utah's governor to use the National Guard to prevent unvaccinated people from leaving their homes. Something sounds awfully gulaggy about using the National Guard against Americans who make a free choice in a free country. Vaccines may be at the center of this ridiculous request, but make no mistake, it's not about masks or vaccines. It's about forced communism. Could I be wrong? Sure, I could be. But am I? Likely not. More Wretched Radio is straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is the art and science of interpreting Scripture. One key principle of hermeneutics is the analogy of Scripture. If God is consistent and the Bible is God's Word, then the Bible is consistent. We can then use Scripture to interpret Scripture, understanding less clear verses in light of clear verses. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Welcome back to Witness Wednesday on Wretched Radio. I'm Jimmy Hicks in the studio. Todd and team are out on campus at Kennesaw State University today. And let's get right back out there to them on campus and not waste a whole lot of time. Guys, this is Thomas. And I am going to tell you something about Thomas that he didn't tell me, but I think is accurate. Are you ready? Sure. Because we've been talking for a few minutes. Yes, sir. And you've mentioned your family at least five times to me. Did you know that? I did not realize that. You did. Because you were you were talking about this this T-shirt that you're wearing on the wrong campus. And you said your family, they're big Bulldog fans, right? Yes, sir. And we talked about baseball. And you said your family and your dad really love Turner Stadium, et cetera. So based on just how much you've been talking about family, I'm going to guess you're a church-going, Bible-belt kid named Thomas, correct? Yes, sir. Named after the Thomas of the Bible, am I correct? Yes, sir. That is why my name is Thomas. Because family is important to you. That's kind of sweet. I have to confess to you. That is very nice to hear that family means something to you, and that typically means you're a Christian. Yes, sir. I go, I go home a lot just to see my family and my friends. Yeah. Oh. That's very sweet. Thomas, tell me. If I approached you on this bench and I sat down and I said, looks to me like your life is together, 
You're a pleasant young man. Life seems to be going in the right direction for you. I understand you're a Christian. Would you please share with me why I should become a Christian like you? Um, this personally, like it's been for me since my sophomore year of high school, this really like life changing. This like, this like I have like a whole new like perspective on like life and just like what it, everything that I do is really about. And just like, not everything is about me. Not everything is about my parents and trying to please them, but to please the Lord and to do everything like in his glory for him. And just personally for me, like ever since I got baptized going into my freshman year, but really kind of started focusing on it my sophomore year of high school, I just kind of like had a better mindset on like what to do, like in like any given situation, like, like right now. Okay. So if I'm interpreting you rightly, you just encouraged me to become a Christian because I will be able to live more for other people and perhaps understand situations better. Is that a correct summary? Yes. Now, what if, Thomas, I said to you, you know what, that doesn't sound all that exciting because right now I actually do live for other people to a degree and I can cope pretty well. So therefore, I don't think that I need to become a Christian. What would you say to me? Um, this is actually a very difficult question. Um, one thing that we do at my church, um, we I go to North Star Church. Well, I go to the college ministry. I'll be going later today. And our big thing is talking about um, living sent. Living, we are, um, as as Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, even so, even so I am sending you in John 20, 21. And we read that every every Tuesday at the end of service. And oftentimes we're come to the we, like we come to the problem with like, oh, we have to face other people that don't know Christ and don't know what to expect. And one thing that we've actually been praying for is um, I think it's Matthew uh, 10 verse two. It is um, pray for the harvest, which are the people that do not know Christ. And, um, and it's also, but pray for the workers who do work on the harvest, which are, which are the followers. So the harvest are non-believers and the workers are um, followers right now. And that is personally one thing that I am working on. Like I personally don't know what I could say to you too much. I am, I am not the most intelligent of the Bible. I, I, I do, I, I do oftentimes know what I'm talking about, but in some situations I don't know what to say. So with Matthew 10 2, it's, I'm, I'm praying for everyone that I talk to with you. If, if somebody were to sit next to me and be a non-believer and ask me about it, I'm praying for them, but I'm also praying for myself to be more knowledgeable, to learn more about it and just to spread the word correctly. Let's see if this helps you in that endeavor. All right, let's, let's change roles. All right. You come up to me and you say, I don't know what you're doing on this campus, dude, but I understand you're a Christian. Why would you try to persuade me to become a Christian too? So you're the unbeliever. I'm the Christian. You ready? Yes, sir. Well, Thomas, I would ask you questions like this. Would you consider yourself to be a good person? Yes, sir. How many lies do you think you've told in your life, Thomas? Too many to count. 
Yeah, right. Okay, so if somebody tells a lot of lies, you would call that person a? Sinner. Specifically, though, you'd call them a? Bad person. Yeah, true. But they're a liar. You tell lies, yes. you're a liar. Have you ever stolen anything? Um, from a store? No, just from siblings. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yes. Okay, so it doesn't matter who, <laughs> who, who you pinched, but you stole something. Yes. Okay, so what do you call somebody who steals things? Uh, a robber, a stealer. Okay, so you are a liar. You're a thief. Hmm. Have you ever taken God's name in vain? Sadly, yes. That's called blasphemy. That's a serious crime against God. Have you ever dishonored your parents in any way? All you had to do is be yeah. naughty once. Yes. Yeah, right. Okay. So I know that's true. All right. Have you ever looked at a woman with lust in your heart? Yes. As everyone, as every, everybody has. All right. Because Jesus said, you've heard it said of old, thou shalt not commit adultery. I say, look with lust, you commit adultery in your heart. Have you ever murdered anybody, Thomas? No. Let's test that. Because Jesus said, if you're ever angry with somebody unjustly, you're in danger of judgment. The Bible says that's like murdering in your heart. You know, you don't kill somebody with an ax, but you've got that feeling that you'd like them off of the planet. That's like murdering in your heart. Have you ever done that? Yes, I have been angry at a friend for no good reason. Okay, so we just walked through about five or six commandments, Thomas. Do you still think you're a good person? Yes. How can you rationalize breaking all of these laws, sinning against God with being a good person? Well, because like it's about like repenting and knowing, knowing like in the moment, like what you did is bad and trying to correct that, trying to say taking something from a brother. Let's say I took a video game, just random thought, and I knew that was bad in the moment. But then I tell myself that I'm not going to do it again. And I like, I could pray about it. I could say like, man, hey, hey, God, I just, I don't think I should be doing this. It's not the right thing. And then it's like, I try myself, try my best to not do it again. Let's imagine for a second, Thomas, that a criminal is pulled into a courtroom and he's guilty of stealing some videos from a blockbuster when they used to have those things. And he says, judge, when I did it, I felt kind of bad and I'm not going to do it again. The judge would say, good, you should feel bad. And you're correct. You shouldn't do it again, but you're still guilty of being a thief. You still did it. And that does not make up for the wrongdoing that you've done. So Thomas, I would try to persuade you. You're like the rest of us. And you're exactly what the Bible says when it says nobody does good. No, not one. All sin falls short of the glory of God. Now, Thomas, if that's true, and someday, Lord willing, it's long time in the future, you die. God calls you before his bench. He is seated on his throne. He is the just judge of all the world. And he knows, like, not just what we do, but what we think. Everything. Books are opened up. He knows how many times you've looked at lust, with lust, maybe looked at porn, maybe didn't do things with your body that you knew shouldn't have been done. When you dishonored your parents every single time, cheated on a test, the whole shebang. Not to mention if you've ever been like racist or sexist, every thought. Is he going to find you innocent or guilty? He will find me 
um, worthy of the kingdom of God. Because I, I know in my heart that I am baptized as Christ has, was baptized, I am too. And um, just like in my heart, I, I will continue to be a Christian because um, when Jesus came down, he sat with the sinners. He sat with the prostitutes. He sat with the people who did the wrong thing. He didn't sit with the, the kind people. He didn't sit with the bad people. He sat with those who were not the best people, the people who you see on the streets who like, you're like, oh man, they are not a good person. You can just tell. Those are the people that Jesus goes to. And I know that Jesus has been with me before, but I am baptized in Christ and I will, I will always do my best to follow him, to be like him. And I feel in my heart that I would be worthy. And stop. Okay, we've got to take a break, but this conversation with Thomas is far from over. Todd has just shared the law with Thomas, who is a believer, but there may be a little error that can be cleaned up in Thomas's worldview there. Come back after the break. It's Witness Wednesday on Wretched Radio. Hey, Tomorrow Club supporter, this message from Paul Marty, the director of the Tomorrow Clubs, is just for you. You know, it's been more than 25 years now since my wife Cindy first brought leaders and kids together for the very first Tomorrow Club. Hundreds of thousands of lives have been touched. We're grateful for all the ways you help kids in forsaken places learn to follow Jesus. Thank you for your support of the Tomorrow Club's $30 a month, Disciples 30 Kids in Eastern Europe and now in Africa, where Tomorrow Clubs anticipates they could be opening up 100 new clubs in a year. Would you please consider becoming a Tomorrow Club supporter? Kids clubs that meet in forsaken places, they get loved on, they hear the gospel, they memorize Bible verses, and they're getting saved. To support your own Tomorrow Club, please visit tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. It's New Year's resolution time. But before you make yours, I have a different type of challenge for you. How about instead of resolving to be a better person this year, you instead commit to leaving a legacy for Christ. And one surefire way you can do just that is by becoming a monthly Wretched Gospel partner. Currently, Wretched Radio and TV is seen and heard on nearly 1,000 stations combined worldwide. The second season of Road Trip to Truth has just been released with season three in production solving the god puzzle on its way to one million copies distributed and transformed our latest tv series highlighting biblical counseling is set to debut later this year we're striving to reach people all over the world with the gospel of our lord jesus christ and we're only able to do that with the support of our gospel partners so would you prayerfully consider joining us just log on to wretched.org donate to get all of the details wretched.org donate so there you are on your Googler machine trying to find a restaurant. What do you look for? Ratings and reviews. If it gets lots of stars, positive reviews, chances are pretty good you're going to go there. Question, would you be inclined to go to a restaurant that had a 98% approval rating and rave reviews? I suspect you would. MetaShare, affordable biblical health sharing has a 98% approval rating. 
400,000 members strong, sharing one another's health care bills, saving billions of dollars over the years, saving families on average $500 a month. And 98% of the members of MediShare give it a hearty thumbs up. I encourage you to call them and see if MediShare is right for you and your family. 1-844-34-BIBLE. 1-844-34-BIBLE for MediShare. Attributes of God God is just. Since He is the standard of right and wrong, every judgment He makes is right and just. He rewards good and punishes evil. The good news for sinners is that the just God offers to justify you through the atoning work of Christ so that your sins are punished on the cross and Jesus' righteous deeds are accounted to you. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. And back we are on Wretched Radio. It's a Witness Wednesday and we've been listening to Todd chat with Thomas, who is a believer, though it seems there are some things that Thomas needs some clarification on. So let's get back to Todd and Thomas now on Wretched Radio. There is still so much more that I can do and a part of living sent is this being a better person and trying to live more like Jesus to make sure that I am worthy of the kingdom of God. Let me perhaps offer you something better today. Okay. But I'm going to ask you to just work with me a little bit. Not if you disagree with me, but just try to reason with me through this just a little bit. All right. If you do something bad, it requires some sort of payment. You've earned a debt against society. So you go to jail, you go to the workhouse, you've incurred a debt. How do you think your good works are going to pay the debt that you owe to God? All of the things that you've done, if we, if we put them on a scale, all right, all of the times that you've lied or lusted or cheated or stolen, we put those on a scale. It's pretty heavy. How much good do you think you're going to need to do to outweigh that? A lot. There's more good to be done in this world than we realize. I mean, kindness goes a very long way. and I feel like kindness is a good start. Here's the problem, though, Thomas. We're not as kind as we should be. I'm never as charitable as I should be. I'm never as honest as I should be. I just keep on falling short over and over again. And if I am responsible for balancing the scales of justice, I got to tell you, that is a burden I don't think I can bear. I don't I don't I can't do enough good. Furthermore, doing good does not offset bad. For instance, criminal goes into a courtroom. He's broken 10 laws. He is busted for sure. But he says to the judge, your honor, I know I've committed those 10 crimes, but let me tell you about the 10 good things I've done. I, I, well, I did a hundred good things. I walked somebody across the street who needed help. I bought a, a soda for somebody who was thirsty. I helped my little brother with his homework. And he rattles off a hundred good deeds. What is the judge going to say to him? Too bad. You still did those 10 crimes. Exactly. And that's your situation. And that's my situation. We've done bad. We have done a lot of bad things and that um, we can still do good, but Jesus came to die for our sins, for those bad things that we have done, to take all that in. When he died on the cross, he died for everybody, no matter who you are, what you look like. It doesn't matter. Yeah, he died for our sins. So. But now we got to harmonize your worldview here, because you just told me that Jesus died to forgive our sins, but 
all along you've been telling me you have to do stuff to have your sins forgiven. Those are not the same thing, are they? Correct. One, what you were expressing all along, was you have to work your way to appease God. What you just said now is Jesus Christ appeased God by dying for sinners. Totally different message. Which one do you believe? I believe both. Um, again, we are sent. I am sent. I'm, I, I am a messenger for those who do and don't believe. But we are sent to walk the walk and talk the talk. Go around and spread everything that we're taught about Jesus. I am told to learn and to live like Jesus. I totally agree with that, Thomas. But I think there's an order that maybe, just maybe, you've got a little bit mingled and confused here, okay? The bad news is, on Judgment Day, you don't have a chance. You deserve the wrath of God just like I do because of all of the sins that we've committed against God. That's our situation. But God is rich in mercy, and he sent his son to live the perfect life we can't live. He died a brutal death on our behalf. So it's as if God took your rap sheet and pinned it on Jesus. And in exchange, Jesus gives you his resume of goodness so that you can be forgiven totally of your sins, even seen as righteous because Jesus gives you his good works credited to your account. And you can be seen as the righteousness of God in Christ. That's the gospel. Thomas, that means your works do not save you. They cannot help you. Furthermore, they're good deeds offered with dirty hands. It would be like Adolf Hitler giving you a bouquet of flowers. You'd go, no thanks, Adolf. They're, they're real nice. I'm not interested because you're giving them to me. Same thing is true with God. We like to think we're offering up our goodness, but they're, they're delivered with blood-stained hands and they're not acceptable to God, but Jesus' work is acceptable to God because he satisfied God's justice and he credits us with goodness so we can be commended to God. That's the good news of the gospel. Then we try to become messengers for Jesus. We try to obey Jesus, not in order to get saved, but because we've been saved. I, I was actually waiting for you to say that. I was like, I was expecting you to say that, and you did say it because um, it's almost like it isn't fair for other people who like are like non-believers because like we have been graced with this Almighty God. Jesus came to die for our sins, and we are saved, and we are experiencing, we will experience eternal life in heaven. But then there's so many other people who don't have the luxury of that, and it is our deed for those who are saved to go out and be the messenger for those people. But the message is this, you're not good, you're bad, and you deserve God's wrath. But Jesus Christ is good and merciful and gracious and kind, and he died to satisfy the wrath of God. Run to Jesus Christ, put your trust in Jesus Christ. He offers you terms of peace with his Father. He's satisfied what you cannot accomplish by yourself. Put your trust in him because he is the most benevolent, amazing being in the universe. That's our message. Then from that knowledge comes the desire to obey. So, Thomas, I do need to challenge you a bit, though. Okay. All along, you've been kind of trying to present your own goodness as being what's going to get you to heaven or earn you forgiveness. Jesus addressed those people. They were actually called Pharisees. 
because they were work, they were work righteous. They thought they were doing good to please God. And Jesus, he, he toppled that. He said, no, you're not good, but I am. Put your trust in me and you'll be seen as good. So Thomas, my, my challenge to you on this bench today, do a little introspection, okay? Because your baptism, it didn't make you right with God. It can't. It's water and it's a work, okay? What makes you right with God is Jesus and him alone. So if you are at all trusting in your own works, you need to forsake that notion. And you need to believe in Jesus and his good works and then live that out, not to please God for, for forgiveness, but to please God because you've been forgiven. If you don't have that right and you're not relying on grace alone and Christ alone, Jesus warned, you won't inherit the kingdom. Okay, so just make sure you've got that really straight in your own brain. Then when you share it with others, you'll do that articulately. But more importantly today is make sure you're believing in Jesus alone and not yourself, okay? Uh, being selfish is one of the greatest problems with everybody, including in the church, including I've seen pastors who are overly selfish and that being selfish is not good. It's a sin and we should be doing it all for Jesus Christ because of him. All right. So you, you've got that straight in your in your belief system. Yes, sir. So when I die, I'm going to see you in heaven. Why? Because we both trying to say it like 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 you presenting it which is the correct way we believe in we believe in christ and um we've done everything for christ to spread the word about him to lead others to him remember though that part is not what got you to heaven that doing that part about going and telling people we we do that because we've already been granted heaven right we don't do that because we got to do that in order to get heaven that makes it a work. And here's what the Bible says. By grace are you saved through faith alone, not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, so that no man should boast. Because you see, if I can go to heaven and somebody asks, why are you here? I can say, well, Jesus died for me, but I also did good things. I told people about Jesus. Then I, then I earned my way there, at least in part. And that's not the way it works. Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe, right? We don't earn our way. He does it for us. So make sure you're keeping that straight in your head because this should take a burden off of you and it should give you more joy and it should give you more assurance. And on those days, Thomas, when you still lie or you still lust or you still do something that you know you shouldn't have done, you're still forgiven. You're still in God's grace. He will not let you go. Nobody can snatch you from his hand. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And that is the knowledge. The next time you're tempted, it's going to keep you from wanting to commit that sin. Because why would I want to sin, sin against the God who died to save me? Fair enough? Yes, sir. Now, that was an encouraging conversation. I'm serious. How often these days do you run across a genuine believer on a secular college campus? It's really not often. And Thomas did have some trouble verbalizing the correct order of salvation, the ordo salutis, but that doesn't make me believe he's any less of a believer or lost, just needs a little guidance. Well, another Witness Wednesday in the books. Time does really fly by every week. 
And we'll see you back here on campus next Wednesday and back here tomorrow for another Ratchet Radio. Until then, until tomorrow, go serve your king.